Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're going to try and cover from verses 18 to 27. I know we talked about verses 18 on a little bit on Sunday, but I'm going to try and cover a little bit different aspect on some of the things that we talked about, as well as really focus on verses 26 and 27. Once again, Romans chapter 8 is such a powerful chapter. It is a jewel in the scriptures, and the book of Romans in itself is magnificent, but chapter 8 is the pinnacle, if you would, of this book. I mean, it kind of all just sums up to this place as Paul has been dealing with our condition as man, as God's dealt with us, our struggle in this walk now of faith and what it means to live by faith. And now he, he's interceding basically how God has stepped into our lives and has filled in the gaps where we have failed. And Romans chapter 8 touches on these things in such a powerful way. Let's read verses 18 uh, through 25 first. We'll talk about those. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy we're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul starts off this portion, and it's connected to previously. And in verse 17, it's important to know that it says, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. If we are children, is important to take with us into what Paul is talking about proceeding. Because he is addressing those who are followers of Christ. He's addressing us who are believers, those who have made that decision, who are the children of God, adopted into the family because of what Jesus has done. And he says, I consider, and that word consider means to, to judge after careful deliberation. And he says, I consider that the sufferings, this present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. What sufferings is he talking about? Is he talking about just the persecution? Because he, he dealt with persecution. The church in Rome dealt with persecution. But he goes on and he explains a lot more than just the persecution from those who are not believers. He talks about all of creation suffering as well. And so when he's talking about suffering, 
He's talking about all the hardships that we go through as children of God from now until that day of glory. All the hardships that you can fit in there. The physical hardships, the emotional hardships, the you know, financial hardships, you name it, all the suffering that we go through. Paul, after considering this careful deliberation, he says, you can't even compare it to the glory that will be revealed in us. Some translations, the New American Standard, the Revised Standard Version say, say that the glory that will be revealed to us, but in context with verse 19, where he talks about the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, I believe it's a more accurate translation, the glory that will be revealed in us. Because there is something going on within the heart of the believer. God is perfecting us. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work will perform it. He will perfect it until when the day of Jesus Christ. That's that glory that we're talking about. And so from that time until that time, everything that's in between, God is at work. Now, we don't always see the work. In fact, I would say most of the time, we don't see the work. We don't see all that is taking place. We get glimpses now and then but we don't really see the depths of the work. And every now and then something will, will peek through and we'll say, oh good, God is working. We'll take comfort. Oh man, I'm glad he's working. Little things. You know, talking with my, my son, one of my boys, he, he looks like he's got a job and so we're like thankful because he'd been out of work for a long period of time and as we're talking with him and about that, well, make sure you're just praying and asking God. And he says, I am. You know, to hear your kids say, oh, I am praying. Oh, as a parent, that just fills your heart with joy. I can remember when my same son, years and years earlier, when we were sitting here in the house and I was freaking out because of financial problems and work and just a lot of things that were difficult at the time when the kids were young. And every night before I'd put the kids to sleep, the boys especially, I used to sing that song, The Steadfast Love of the Lord Never Ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. And I would sing that song while I scratched their backs and I'd have to take turns, scratch this one, sing a little, scratch this one, sing a little, take turns going back and forth. And one day I was sitting there freaking out inside, not outwardly, you know, holding it all in like us dads can do, you know, just like, oh man, you know, I'm gonna take the car and drive off a cliff or something. And then off, I mean, I don't know if I was thinking that, but I was stressing. And there, my son playing with some Legos on the rug was singing the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And it ministered to me and I got to see that glimpse of, you know what, it, the things that I've been sharing with him, he's now sharing with me in song as he's singing that song, just as he's playing, thinking, wow, every now and then God gives us a glimpse that he is at work, that his love never comes to an end. And all these things that we're reading, you know, we have the foresight to know that Romans 8.28 is waiting for us in the distance, that God works all things together for the good to those who love him, those who are called according to his purposes. 
We, we know that's coming up. And so Paul is leading up to that, but we have this ability to look back and say, you know, there is something taking place within me and with every believer, a glory that is waiting to be revealed. And I love what it says in verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. J.B. Phillips translation, it says, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. I love that. On tiptoe, just waiting, peeking. They can't wait to see it. You ever see kids that are by the window that's just a little higher than them and they're peeking up, trying to look in? All of creation is just eagerly waiting, on tiptoe, waiting to see what takes place, which tells us something. It tells us something about the creation that we're living in. It's telling us that we were not created for the universe, but actually the universe was created for us. We are the crown of God's creation. I know it's hard to get that when you look at us. We're, we're not yet what we should be. We're thinking, well, I think he could have done a lot better. Don't worry, I'm thinking the same thing. Uh, we have this idea of what creation could be like, but you see, there is something that's supposed to be revealed in us that all of creation is on tiptoe waiting for. It can't wait for this to take place. Now you think of that and think of the things that we see that are so incredible. The, the sunsets, the mountains, the rainbows, the ocean, rivers, these things of beauty and to think that they are waiting to see the glory that is to be revealed in the sons of God. You see, nothing else was created in God's image. We were. Nothing can honor God like we can. Nothing give ev can give evidence to God like we can. And it's important for us to recognize this. In Matthew 13, 43, Jesus said, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father who has ears to hear, let him hear. They will shine like the sun that day. What a glorious thing. What a glorious hope in that day when we will shine like the sun. And, and Paul is talking about that, that future hope that we have and all these things that he's talking about, this present suffering, uh, the persecution, the, the global suffering, all the things, what Paul is really trying to say is he's telling us it's worth it. Whatever you're going through, it's worth it. And it's important to know that this is all of creation. He goes on in verse 20, the creation is subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberate, liberated in its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. This isn't an isolated thing. This is a global thing. This should get us out of the mindset, why me? Because it's not why you, it's why everything. 
This isn't an individual thing. Well, God's picking on me. You know, I've got it so hard. Things are so difficult. First of all, us living in the United States, it's difficult to fathom that when you understand how people live throughout the world and the hardships they go through. But whenever you say, why me, you need to remember that the entire world is being affected and is under this pressure. So it's not just you going through something. The whole world is going through it. It is the effects of sin. But something else that takes place, this problem or this pressure, this suffering that is taking place is the result of sin. But more than that, it's a judicial act that all nature is involved in that is given by God himself. It says so there in verse 19 or verse 20 for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it it's not by its own choice creation didn't say yes i want to go through hardship man doesn't say yeah i want to go through hardship he was subjected to it by god now, this is a difficult thing sometimes for us to understand, and this is why some people become deists. Deists believe that God kind of wound up the world and then let it go and had, took off you know, his hands from it and said, well, I don't have anything more to do with it. That's not the God of Scripture. God of Scripture has been involved all along, but also in line with what the creation says is that God prescribed judgment, condemnation, because of what man did. That God had a very important role in laying down the penalty of sin. It's a judicial act. And what we should recognize and what we should see is that all the natural evil is actually a statement about how horrible moral evil really is. When we see something that is just horrific, it should bring just shivers to our spine about how evil the moral corruption is. When you see child abuse, when you see how evil people can be towards one another, it should shock us that how evil is the moral situation that mankind is in. So much so that God had to put a judgment on it. He couldn't just let it go, couldn't wink at it. He had to condemn it, and it affected the whole world. Yes, it was the result of man's sin. We talked about this Sunday, how even just creation itself, we talked about earthquakes, floods, how we don't know to what degree the, the things that we are seeing and the hardships of this world are a result because of what man has done, but they are a result because of God's judgment. God said, this will not, this is not going to fly. This is condemned. I condemn it. And he put the judgment on. It didn't just happen. God prescribed this judgment because we are dealing with a moral God who could not allow sin to go without dealing with justice and not putting that punishment. And so we see that in verse 23. We see that, or verse 20, and it goes on throughout just how we recognize that this problem that's taking place, it takes place 
To who? To even us, the children. And that's in verse 23 as well, where it says that we ourselves, who's he talking about? The children. That's what we saw in verse 17. This earth is still under the judgment that we ourselves are still, still dealing with. It's a global judgment that has fallen on, on, on all of mankind. And we think how terrible things really are. It's a statement about the horror of the moral evil that is in mankind. And it needs to remind us of those things. It needs to let us know of just that. And then he goes on and he tells us just how the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Now, we saw earlier, or verse 23, it says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. I, I want you to mark this word groaning because it takes place a number of times and it's going to be something that we kind of capture and talk about later on in verses 26 and 27. But we talk about this groaning. Now, now groaning is something that is a result of something. You groan because your back hurts. You groan because your legs ache. You groan because usually something takes place. You can even groan when you see, you know, uh, you might be watching a movie and something scary happens and you go, oh, you know, or whatever it is. It's a response. Here Paul says that we groan and creation is growing, but he tells us that we are growing, groaning, but it is with hope. In verse 22, he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemptions of the, our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is not seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently or with perseverance. So this groaning is with an expectation. This pain is with the hope of something good. It's as, again, God saying, you know, it's worth it and you don't give up. Don't give up. I know it's hard. It's hard for everyone, some more than others, but whoever lives in this world will go through this suffering. Don't give up because there is something waiting. If you go into a hospital and you hear moaning or you hear screaming, if you're in a maternity ward, it means one thing. If you're in the pediatric ward, means something else. One is with hope. The other one is without. If you're in one area, you know they're crying, they're screaming in pain, but a child is going to be born. The other, they're screaming just because they're in pain of sickness, perhaps illness. We need to recognize in this world we are groaning, but it is with hope. We are waiting for something. And God is saying to us, don't give up. Don't quit. And, and you guys, we, we need to know this. 
I want you to know this so that as you go through this life and the hardships come and the sufferings come, and if they haven't come, they will. But I think most of you have gone through some sort of sufferings of some sort, and you know they come. Well, you need to know this isn't anything new, that it isn't anything personal, that the whole world is affected by this. I want you to know so that when those times come and I talk to you, if I go to the hospital or whatever, and I'm there by your side, I don't have to preach to you. Well, hey, this is why things happen. This is, I don't want to preach to you. I just want to be able to hug you. I just want to be able to love you because you already know the truth. And I'll be there with you and, and hold on to you and say, hey, I love you. I care for you. I'm sorry this is happening. I feel what's going on as your brother. But I don't want to have to go there and tell you, you know, well, this is why things are happening. I want you to know now. So when it happens, and it's, you know, this is kind of a, a twofold uh, message in these passages. One is saying suffering is going to happen. But the other is there's hope in the suffering, past the suffering. And it's a kind of a, a morbid thing to be able to tell you guys here, hey guys, you're going to go through suffering. You're going to go to the hospital. You're going to be in car accidents. Your kids are going to get sick. Thanks, Sam. I'm glad I came to church today. You know, It's like <laughs> wonderful news. You've got to know that those things happen. And you also need to know that we are waiting for hope that is not worthy to be compared. That's going to be revealed one day. That's what Paul wants us to know. That's what he's trying to get at to us. That as hope is there, it'll help us through the suffering. Just like that mother waiting to deliver that child. She's got that in sight so that she knows this is going to be over eventually. And then I'll have the child. We need to know that the suffering will be over eventually. And then the glory will be revealed in us. Hang on. Don't give up. Don't quit. Know that it's there. And I think Paul had a good grasp of suffering. He had a good understanding of people who betrayed him, of being beaten, being financially in hardship, being in prison, being shipwrecked, you name it. Guy, guy knows where he's coming from. And after considerate deliberation, mindful, he says, it's not worthy. Can't compare with what's going to be revealed in us. And then verses 26 and 27, and I really want to kind of key, on, key in on this for the remainder of their time. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that, groan, groans, groans, you know what I'm saying, groans that... Words cannot express, and he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. There are three things <clears throat> I want to look at in these passages because this is a curious passage. It's one that really 
proclaims the Trinity. And, and every time we see the Trinity expressed in Scripture, it's always in a unique way because we're dealing with something that is unique in its nature and itself. He's talking about the Spirit intercedes with and prays to God on our behalf. And that's just a, a strange thing to think about. If you don't think it's strange, something's wrong with you. Uh, it is unique. It's weird. It's trying to just understand, well, why does this need to happen? Why does God need a middleman? He knows, you know, what, what's taking place. And I want to ask three questions, really. I want to ask, what does the Holy Spirit pray? I want to ask, how does he pray? And why does he pray? What's going on here? And what does the Holy Spirit pray? And, and just as we're going into this, as hope helped us through the, our suffering, the Holy Spirit helps us through the infirmities that he's talking about here. The Holy Spirit helps us through these infirmities. Well, what does, he, what does the Holy Spirit pray for? Well, it says that he prays for things that we do not know how to ask. That's one of the things that is mentioned there, which should give us a clue, okay? For the Spirit himself helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Well, there's a lot of things we do know what we should pray for. Lord, give me patience. I know how to pray for that. Lord, help me in my weaknesses, my uh, sin. Help me to be holy. There's a lot of things we know what to pray for. And this isn't one of those. So we know a little bit about it because we know that it's something that we don't know how to ask for. We also know that it's because of our weakness. In other words, it's something that we are unable to do. And we also know that it's according to God's will. Now, Things we don't know what to pray for tells us a lot. Weakness, well, we know it contains our, our human nature. He talked about that in chapter 6 and verse 19. Our natural limitations, our, our sicknesses that we go through, our hardships, we know those things. And we know that there's a groaning that comes from sicknesses, from sufferings, pains, loss, but the key, I think, is according to the will of God. It, it would seem that the Holy Spirit prays for us that the will of God would be done whether we get well or not, whether we escape the hardship or not, and we groan, we groan just waiting. In other words, there are circumstances in our lives where we do not know the will of God. We don't know. God, should I take that step and go in this direction of ministry? God, should I stay or should I go? I mean... We don't know all those things, and sometimes that's a difficult place to be, and, and we groan in waiting. It's funny, because when he says he groans in things that cannot be expressed, has anyone experienced that? 
I don't have words for it, but I groan. And just like, I don't know what is going on. I don't know what to do. I don't have a clear direction in front of me. I can't escape this circumstance. I don't know. And it would seem that this, the, what the Spirit is praying is praying for the things that we just don't know. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh and how he prayed three times that it would be taken from him. And finally, the Lord said, no, my grace is enough for you. My strength is perfected in what? In your weakness. Now, can you imagine being Paul, going through a circumstance? The guy has been beaten up. The guy has been left for dead. He's had people turn on him, and now he has the opportunity to go and preach some more. Oh, boy. God, is anything I'm doing worth it? Is it going to fall on deaf ears if I go back? And why did sometimes the Spirit forbid him from going? And why did sometimes he go to these places? Why was he sometimes delivered and sometimes not? He doesn't know he's dealing with this weakness. In Philippians 1.21 it says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I don't know what's better. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I want to go, but should I stay? I don't know what to do. Well, that's what the Spirit does. Remember Jesus in the garden. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass but not my will, yours be done. God, I don't want to go here, but I trust you for what I can't understand, what I can't get past. I trust you. And we need to understand that sometimes Jesus was able to, to walk through the crowd but then sometimes, or at one time, he, he wasn't. Sometimes Paul was delivered. Sometimes he wasn't. John Bunyan had a book called Advice to Sufferers. And in his book, he, he talked about the things that he went through and the suffering. Because even though he wrote the Pilgrim's Progress while he was in prison, and all he had to do to get out was say that he was not going to preach and he had children who were handicapped, who were on the outside, and people challenged the fact that he was in prison when he had responsibilities out of that prison. Should you go? Should you renounce? Should you leave so that you can take care of this responsibility? I don't know what to pray for. And he said in this book, just a little glimpse, he said that Moses fled in Exodus 2.15 but then he stood in Hebrews 11.27. David fled in 1 Samuel 19.12, but he stood in 1 Samuel 24.8. Jeremiah fled in 
Jeremiah 37, 11, but he stood in Jeremiah 38, 17. Christ withdrew himself in Luke 19, 10, but he stood in John 18, 1. Paul fled in 2 Corinthians eleven thirty three, but he stood in Acts 20, 22. How do you know as the Spirit leads you? We don't know what to pray as we ought. And so we groan, God, what do I do in this circumstance? How do I go? I do not see what the clear black and white is. It's not a matter of should I sin or shouldn't I sin? It's what direction do I take when I don't know? And isn't it good to know that the Spirit helps where you fall short? Isn't it comforting to know that God is there? It should encourage us. It should bring encouragement because you're not expected to know the will of God all the time. Does that bring anyone else comfort? You're not expected to know the will of God all the time. The Holy Spirit will take it from here. It's also good to know it's encouraging, be encouraged because you're groaning and perplexity it's not that you're being watched, but you're being understood. You know the difference? You know when someone's watching over you, waiting for you to fail? God's not watching over you going, oh, you made the wrong choice. You should have chose that one. Okay, demerits here. Okay, yeah, no, no ice cream for you. You're not being watched. You're being understood. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. He understands what we're going through. Be encouraged that God's work for you is not limited to or dependent on what you can figure out or understand. That the work God is doing is not totally dependent on your ability to figure it out. That there are things that you will not figure out. God is at work. He is working on your behalf. He is interceding for you. Be encouraged that in your weakness, the hardship and the pain that the Spirit is for you, not against you. It says so in verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us that God is actually on your side and for you. And in those areas of life that we all come to where we don't know, God, I don't know which direction I should go. And inside we're like, what should I do? What should I do? The Spirit himself is praying, interceding for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Be encouraged that God always hears the prayers of the Spirit. And they are always yes and are for you. You see, again, we're looking at this with the hindsight, knowing what Romans 8.28 says. Knowing that God is able to work all things. So when I come to these paths in my life and I'm like, God, what should I do? Should, should I invest and go in this direction? Should I do this for my children? Is this going to be good? Is this going to be bad? I don't know, God. I don't know. I don't want to make the wrong mistake. I don't want to make an error that's going to be so costly and devastating to my life. Be encouraged that the Spirit himself is interceding for you, that he's praying. He's saying, God, he doesn't know. We'll have to help him out right here. 
let, let's step in and let's direct his life where he doesn't know which direction to go. Let's move him in the right direction. Even though he doesn't know, I'll take it from here. I am for you. I am working for your good. That should just bring a huge relief to our lives because how many times have I talked to people and they say, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to make a mistake that's going to be devastating for my kids. I don't want to make a mistake that's going to be devastating for me and I don't know what to do. Be encouraged. The Spirit himself is interceding for you. But those groanings that you don't understand He's working. How does he, how does he pray? Well, it says with groanings that words cannot express. Well, whose groanings? Well, I believe they're our groanings. The things that we feel the Spirit is interpreting and taking before God, those areas where we are at our wit's end and unable to decide, the Spirit takes it from there. Because why would the Holy Spirit groan about not understanding? He, he's God. He understands. doesn't make sense. It has to be my groanings. And it says, why does he pray? Well, he searches the heart. Now, this is important because the heart is the theater of where this interaction is taking place. And it's our hearts. The Holy Spirit is searching our hearts and, and interpreting these things that are going on. And so what he's doing is taking this groaning and interpreting it to God in the things that we are need, needing to understand. We see the words, like I mentioned before, groaning throughout. We saw that creation has been groaning. We saw that ourselves are groaning. And here again, there's a groaning in our own weakness that we don't even understand, but the Spirit is able to. He, he, he prays by interpreting the things that are coming out of our hearts. The Spirit himself is doing those things. Now, why does he pray? Because that's really the, the one that's puzzling me. Why not just take out the middleman? Why pray at all? He knows. Have you guys ever been there? Like, why do I have to pray, God? You already know what you're going to do. Just do it. 1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone speaks... He should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Why does he pray? Because he is taking us and moving us into a place where we bring God praise and glory through Jesus Christ. If we speak, it should be as one who speaks the words of God. If we serve, we should do it with the strength God provides. It is his interaction with us. Why does he pray? Because he is involving us in the glorious things that God has. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. You know what my prayer without ceasing sounds like throughout the day? Help. It's true. It's help me finish the study. It's help me not get upset. Help me make the right choice. Help me 
to think more clearly. Help me to be patient. Help, 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 help. And the Spirit is working with those prayers and wanting to produce in me a life that honors God. You see, I live as a desperate human being. I really do. I'm in need of help constantly, constantly. And when the Spirit directs the groanings of our heart, that theater of interaction, then God gets glory, which is why we were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He is partnering with us to bring glory to himself. Why does he pray? Because he is joining with us, connecting with our spirits, that, that theater of our hearts, and producing a life that will bring glory to God. Now, he wants us to glorify him, not because he needs it. A lot of times we think, well, God, you know, we need to give God glory like he's up there and he says, come on, everyone, give me glory, give me glory. It's not that God needs the glory. We need to see his glory. Remember Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus said, Father, I thank you that I am here, that you hear me always. Jesus knew that God heard him, but he says, I want them to know that you hear me. They need to see who I am. He wasn't saying, look at me, look at me. He's saying, they need to see me. And what we need to do is give God glory. That's why we were made. We were made in his image. How do we give God glory? By living lives that bring honor to him. How do we live lives that bring honor to him? We deal with the sufferings. We groan with things we don't understand. We are yielded to God and he is at work within us, the theater of our hearts. He is conducting a symphony that is going to bring out praise and honor to God. He is directly connected to us and in these areas where we don't even understand, he is deeply at work, producing within us lives that will honor him. And this should cause us and this is what Paul sets up before Romans. I know I wasn't going to get there, or I didn't want to get there, but you got to get there because that's what Romans 8.28 is all about. This, this going, what God is doing within us, how the Spirit is working in us so that we can finally say he is able to work all things for the good to those who love him and are called to According to his purpose. Why? Because he's already at work in there. And so Paul, once again, is showing us God's work within our lives in the midst of a world that is suffering, in the midst of a world that is decaying. There is something eternal going on that you can't even compare what it's going to look can't even compare, but that is the work that God is doing within the lives of those who belong to him.
should set you free. You should be encouraged. Remember, you're not expected to know everything, but God is working in you. Have faith. And when you want to say, I don't know what's going on. I, man, this is terrible. This is wrong. Know that the Spirit himself is interceding with those areas of your life you don't know. And you could say, you know what? God knows, and he is for me. So it doesn't matter. I cannot lose. Oh, I might still go through suffering. In fact, I guarantee you will. But it's okay. Good news. God is moving your life in the direction that will bring glory to him. And that's what you were created for. Let's allow him to do just that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it's so hard to not try and figure you out and try and take charge of all the things that we don't understand. And there are things where we have to surrender and trust that you are working within us, that you will guide our lives in the directions that are best. Help us to have faith in you. Our job isn't to understand everything. Our job is to follow you, to live for you, and to honor you through the sufferings, through the hardship, draw near to you and you will draw near to us and we do thank you that your Holy Spirit <coughs> is working in our hearts to produce what is honorable for you Lord we thank you that you are for us that you are working what is best for us and not just short term but long term Father I pray that you would Help us to understand and recognize this when our life situations are not good, when we are being under the strain and pressure that makes us cry out. Father, in those cries, we know you are interceding, we know you are working, and we are thankful, so thankful. May we be able to echo Paul's words and say that the present things that we're going through aren't worth comparing to the glory that you are going to reveal in each of us. We ask it in your son Jesus' name.